Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EVN Disrupt podcast. My name is Najdat Zaturyan, and I'm the editor of the creative tech section here at EVN Report. This week, Hamnet Azaryan, CEO and founder of Azaryan Growth Agency, joins us to discuss validating startup ideas, gaining traction, and scaling companies. Azaryan breaks down the data-driven approach AGA takes to growth marketing and what metrics they track to ensure that startups reach their growth goals. We also discussed AGA's upcoming initiative called Growth Academy, that aims to teach growth marketing in Armenia. Thank you for listening. Hamlet, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Let's start with a little bit of your background. Tell me how you got involved in the world of startup growth and growth marketing. No, of course. So for the last 14 years or so, I've been focused on working with early stage startups. How I define early stage startups is really when it's just an idea. There's no business, There has nothing has been developed yet. And I fell in love with it. It was, you know, here you are, you can do anything with this world and you want, you want to build something. And then the process of that allowed me to really start digging more and more into it. Mm -hmm. As I started doing that, I I came across the first startup that I actually partnered with. It was started by two Harvard uh, business school graduates, twin brothers, Sean and Kenny Salas. And as I started working with them and we started building a go-to market strategy for them, this notion of taking something from nothing that's an idea and a vision and build a business out of it started making me fall more and more in love with it. As I started doing that, I started working with other startups in the process of it as a growth advisor, and that's kind of been my history. Is it sort of the blank slate of the whole thing that excites you about it? or? Yeah, totally the blank state, the possibilities of what the market potential could be, the fact, the competition, right? Like it's not easy. It's probably, if you ask my mom what I do, she would probably laugh at me. She's like, are you crazy? You're going to go work for startups? So the fact that, you know, you have no capital, you have no resources, Mm -hmm. you just have a passion, a drive, and ambition, and you want to make something out of nothing is what gravitated me towards it more than anything else in this world. And me being part of that ecosystem, particularly in the early stage, is more or less what drives me, right? Like it's the possibilities are endless. There's so much you can do, but how do you go about actually making this vision or this idea come to life and be able to stand unique in the marketplace when you're competing with all the big boys that might have the endless capital or experience and the resources. Right. And from that very first startup that you worked with, was that the start of your firm AGA or is that what at the time where you sort of more like contract? No, 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 no. AGA came much, 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 (laughs) many years later. So when, so prior to that, I was working with not necessarily startups, but it was, there was a company that I helped grow from zero to a million dollars a year in revenue. and, And, how that started was simple. I was playing basketball and there was a dermatologist and he wanted to start an e-commerce store. Of course, I didn't know how to build a website. I didn't know how to design a website, nor did I know how to market a website, but I wanted to get involved and it was exciting for me. So I chose to jump in head first into it. And when I did, I started quickly learning all of these new skills and traits, right? I learned how to market, I learned how to program, I learned how to design, I learned how to create email marketing, I learned how to do influencer marketing. This is like at the early days of right. YouTube, influencer like a marketing. jack of all trades kind of thing. Yeah. a jack of all trades, and I right. love that. This amazing opportunity to constantly be learning and trying new things and experimenting and taking sort of this ideas that I might have and bring it to life to see if it would actually work, what's what started driving me. Mm-hmm. However, that there was a cap to that, right? There was no capital. We were running and growing the business mainly through credit cards and purchases, and my learning curve was starting to hit a limit. 
And then when I came across startups, it became a new opportunity for me. I'm like, wow, there's a whole ecosystem that puts yeah. money into founders and puts it sort of like construction. Like, you know, they'll put X amount of money for hitting certain gates and then they'll put more additional capital if you hit certain gates. And if you're able to do this, the capital continues to grow and the ideas continue to flourish and the learnings continue to amass. And I'm like, this seems like a perfect place for yeah. me. I'm like, and that's when I fell in love with the world of startups. Mm -hmm. When I was doing that, I also realized that I can do it more. I can do not one startup. I can do it with two startups. I can do it with three startups. Not because I was that great, but it was more like I was looking at it as like, okay, I, I have learnings from startup A, startup B, and startup C. I'm actually multiplying my exponential curve on understanding how the market really works. It might be in different industries or different segments. And this is allowing me to really grow, not as just a person, but as a marketer and a profession in my craft. So you needed to institutionalize it kind of through. I started, in, exactly. I yeah. started institutionalizing it. And the way I started institutionalizing it is as I started putting processes in place. I wasn't doing necessarily the work myself. So I want to like clearly identify and I love every team that right. I've worked with, that I, I've had an opportunity to engage with. Mm -hmm. What I started really doing is realizing that there's a systematic way that you can go to market that's really data driven, that allows you to quickly iterate and understand what is the true pain point, what is the true value proposition and how you can build a product or a business or a company that is unique in the marketplace that has an opportunity to succeed, that is an opportunity to scale and increase overall the revenue that it's been doing historically and lowering CAC. And when I started seeing this over and over again, I saw it in multiple industries, that just it dawned on me. I'm like, okay, what can I do more? Right, right, interesting. Okay, I'm really interested to hear about how you guys approach this from a data-driven perspective because oftentimes I think from my own experiences but also like speaking to startup founders or people who are just really in the early stages of taking their idea to market they're kind of just trying whatever they can think of but there's really no like science I guess you would say behind like the things that they're trying largely probably because there's just a lack of knowledge of how you would do that so I'm really curious to find out more about how you guys take a data-driven approach to this but first when we say growth, it might sound a little bit like obvious what we mean by it, but what does it actually mean to work in startup growth? Like what metrics is it that you guys are looking at? What is it that you're actually trying to achieve? Great question. So I'm going to answer this in two ways. I'm going to answer this one for the business and I'm going to also answer one for the leaders of that business because both things simultaneously are going through a growth phase, right? So first the business itself. So what you're trying to do in the early stage, the let's say when you haven't necessarily even raised any significant capital, you're really trying to understand what is the pain point in the marketplace, right? So where should I focus? What should I actually build? Where should I be investing my time and my resources? And the way you're able to do that is through a lot of customer discovery calls. And this is like the old school way of hitting the pavement and talking to people, right? So you might be running a simple landing page. You might be looking at how many impressions and clicks the ads are getting. Are, are, are you getting a lead? Are you able to actually get someone on a phone call, on a demo call? Are you able to engage with them and understand that what you thought the messaging on the ad said, you haven't built anything yet, by the way, what you understand the messaging on the ad said will actually resonate into a business that they're willing to give you money for and it solves an actual true pain point and a problem. So that's the early stage. Okay. And you're running a bunch of these experiments and you're gathering data and input. Once you have figured that out, you go raise your first round of capital, and this is really just to build that product, whatever that product that you just validated that it, it can exist in the marketplace. 
and you're quickly chasing to build that product. But at the same time, growth doesn't stop. So now you're now trying to figure out how to build your first engine, I like to say, which is a scalable acquisition channel that's not your brother or your father or your cousin that right. is your customer. It's no one that you actually know, right? It's it's a complete independent system. It might be, you know, SEO or it might be Facebook ads or it might be you know, display ads or influencer marketing or affiliate marketing, or it might even be a webinar. And then like, there's so many different acquisition ways of doing this. What you're, what you're really looking for is this systematic process that you can constantly turn on or turn off. It's sort of like a light switch in a room, right? And then you'll get new customers coming. Right. Right. And once you develop that, then you're able to get additional capital, which allows you now to go build your second engine or your third engine and so on and so forth. So that's what the business goes through. That's what growth is. At the same time as leaders, you're transforming too. So what I mean by that is now you're uh, realizing that you had a, you had maybe your core team. And that core team might have been you and your co-founders and your first hire. So you had a specific culture. And that culture was really built around solving this problem. And you guys were in it together. And you day and night were dreaming about when this company becomes big and how we're going to be able to, you know, rule the world or make a big difference right. and make a huge impact or all of those different things. But as your organization started growing, some of that passion and that drive that were there in the early days might slowly start falling apart because now you are hiring additional people and it, it's no longer a flat organization, right? You now have levels and hierarchies and you as a person are learning to become a better leader. How are you going to build a culture within an organization? How are you going to make sure everyone has the opportunity to uh, have a voice and be part of what this new organization is becoming and this new culture that is being derived from. Right. The romanticism of sort of the startup workflow and life is kind of over at that point. Exactly. It's turning into more of just a company. Right. A little bit. Uh, I yeah. mean, some of it is still there. It's more you as a leader are more transforming to um, things that you, d you weren't expecting, right? Because it happens so fast. Yeah. If it's actually working, within a short period, you go from being you know a group of tight of five or eight, eight or ten and i've seen this happen several times over right and then all of a sudden you open your eyes and six months later there's 30 of you and then you open your eyes six months later that there's 100 of you and then you open your eyes and a few months after that there's 200 of you right. and you open your eyes all of a sudden there's 500 of you and that was only three years so imagine three years ago when you were just hanging out yeah. and now there's 300 of you in the room. And so that's a huge transformation for you as a leader. Right. right. Yeah. One thing um, you spoke about a little bit earlier that really interested me was the things you do at the beginning to sort of validate your idea, right? Like customer discovery calls, speaking to people about their pain points, things like that. So at the beginning, you're doing things that don't necessarily scale well. Like you can't constantly be doing an, an infinite amount of customer discovery calls to find out what's next for the product. Oftentimes people start with the product, right? Like they have some idea that they really fall in love with, they're really passionate about, and they want to bring this to market no matter what, right? And often they fall into a trap of, well, they built this, something that's really cool, but it's not necessarily something people are What do you mean if you for. build it, they don't just show up? Apparently they don't just build it and they will come <laughs> is not a, a good motto, apparently. Um, so I'm curious, like when you're advising people, people who are just in general, interested in entrepreneurship, interested in building tech startups and things like that. Do you often speak to them about like, don't fall in love with an idea or a product, like go figure out something you can do first? Or is it important to, you know, whatever this thing you've been working on for a while to just see if that's something you can... Uh, All you can the time, on? yeah. I'll, so I try to get to a point where no lines of code is actually written until you're almost 100% sure. 
And how can you make it simple enough? And I, I think I alluded it to earlier, like, hey, you kind of know what you want to build and you, you have a good idea if you can build it. But first, figure out if the customers actually want it, if there's actually a true value there. And I can give you a, a great example of this. So a friend of mine, he, you know, he wanted to build this amazing startup and he had tremendous experience and he had been doing this most of his career. He was a, he was a director of mobile apps at a very big organization and he was going to branch out and start building. And he was actually an adjunct professor as well. And he was teaching and he was going to, he was going to branch out and build this new innovation on, um, sort of mobile app development and at the surface it looked amazing right like he has amazing experience he leads a huge team he's a professor at a leading university and he wants to build a startup i'm like yeah i'm 100 in let's jump in here and let's try to let's try to figure out how we can make this happen right so i rolled up my sleeve and he's like hey man let's just let's together we looked at each other because obviously we, we had been doing this for a while we we're like why don't we just try to figure out what the most minimal viable product of this thing is so let's not go crazy and overbuild this. Let's do a simple landing page. Let's kind of try to get a bunch of people on phone calls and let's try to see if we can actually build something out of this. Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay, cool. I'm like, so how are we going to do this? He's like, well, I don't want to talk to everyone that I know because I know they're all going to say it's a great idea. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. That's probably what they're going to say. So we decided to figure out how we can start talking to CTOs or directors of really large enterprise companies. And here we are like nobodies, right? Two guys. Trying because to they it. would be the potential clients. They would be the potential clients. And in addition, we wanted to talk to a, a whole base of developers, right? That he didn't know, that he hadn't taught, they hadn't worked for him, that would be potential users as well. So how do we go about doing this? No product landing page or whatever, an idea, no capital really raised, just a little bit, right? Just to even get the initiative going. So what we put together sort of this, what we call our version of a growth marketing like process mm -hmm. is we saw that the NSF, which is the National Science Foundation, was having a grant competition. And we're like, why don't we apply to get into the NSF? Not that we wanted to win the capital. That would have been nice. So that, that would have been like gravy on the top, but more we wanted to get into that process so we can utilize that to be able to reach out to the CTOs and say, hey, we're part of this National Science Foundation, we're interested in building this product and we wanna kind of get a few minutes of your time to you, to learn about more about your experience and your track record to see if this, this is an actual pain point in the marketplace. That strategy worked flawlessly. We were able to get hold of 80% open rates, 60% response rates, so here we are talking to CTOs of these organizations and they're all, some of them are being nice, some of them are being honest, or they're moving us forward to the director of engineering or the engineering manager. And so we're going through this, what we call the customer discovery process. And simultaneously at the same time, we started putting job postings up for this MVP product that we had built to see if there was actual interest of people who wanted to build this product with us or try this product and so on and so forth. So now we're talking to the managers and the leaders, and at the same time, we're talking to basically the developers as a whole too, right? Mm -hmm. So this process moves on. Now we're two months into this and three months into this and four months into this. And the data that we're collecting over and over again is starting to make us realize that, man, yeah, there is a pain point in the market. The, the assumption was not wrong, that there actually is a need and there's issues here, but is it scalable? And on top of that, is it possible to make this productized or is this going to be a custom solution for every basically enterprise that we're going to work with? And as we went through this cycle over and over again, we're like, you know, we can build a 
pretty good service business, but can we really build a scalable venture scale company? And that was the biggest lessons learned. So, mm-hmm. so looking back on it, like I, I always remember that story and that's something I end up sharing with most of the startups I work with is like, even though there is a problem, even though there is a pain point, do invest the time and really spend whatever that takes, the two months, three months, four months, to talk to your potential customers and your potential users to see if it's warrant, worth you investing the next five years or 10 years of your life building a, this scalable company. Right. How does someone get started with that? Like, what's the first thing you do? You set up a landing page, like you do cold calls. Like, is it is it that simple or? It can be. It's really like really digging and starting to talk to people and really understanding what is the true pain point, right? So mm-hmm. like it, it's the why. You got to keep on asking what is the real why of what you're trying to and do. And is that a good gauge of whether or not, like you can maybe identify a pain point, maybe you can identify that people think your idea is interesting, but is that also a good way of gauging whether or not people will pay for the solution or how do you how do you think about that? No, you actually try to sell. So at the tail end, oh, okay. uh, at the tail end of this process, you're trying to sell this. So, so even and during the call, the discovery calls, you are in the discovery calls, you're actually trying to sell. You're like, okay, you know, we're in the process of building this. This is where we are in the roadmap. We'll be, we will be at a position that we can present this a little bit more to you in about two months. If once we get there, are you interested in us having a follow up call? They're like, yeah, yeah, we're interested. Great. How much are you willing to pay at this point once it's developed? So you, you're really like digging in to yeah. see if. They're legitimate. If, oh, this much. Okay, great. Are you willing to put a deposit in that can mm-hmm. help accelerate the process of us building this so we can hire one more resource? You keep on asking right. these probing questions and you start eventually realizing how serious they are or how serious they're not, right? When the deposit, I'm not willing to put a deposit, you're like, all right, so the level of interest is probably not there yet. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Let's talk about when a company comes to AGA. Typically, what stage companies are you guys working with? And if there are different stages, or is there different things you're doing for each one? This is kind of the philosophy we believe in. And it's, it's kind of, I think, what sets us apart the most is we're super selective on who we work with. And part of that is because I remember the days of why I was lucky enough to be successful with the three different organizations at the same time as a growth advisor is because we have sort of like a co-founder ownership mentality. So we wanna make sure that we're not just taking clients on for the sake of taking clients. We wanna take businesses on that we can build teams that are gonna be fully integrated with them. And most of the teams that we end up working on, it comes in two paths. One, it might be super early where we're mentors and we're advising them and they might be part of you know, the Armenian Startup Academy, for example, that I'm here in Yerevan for, and we're just coaching and guiding and doing all of those things. We do that totally pro bono and trying to help the ecosystem up. Or they might be later on in the stage where they've raised their first, let's say, seed or series A, and we've gone through a mutual courtship, I would say, right? Like we've spent some time getting to know each other. We, we kind of understand where they are as a business. Can we really help them? Do we believe in each other's capabilities? Do we supplement and complement what they have currently? And can we right. help accelerate them? And if right. all of those boxes are checked, then we begin engaging with them. Mm. Is there a specific type of companies that you guys work with? Or are you guys generally agnostic towards that? Like, or do you guys specialize in, let's say, AI startups or this kind of startup or this kind of, or is it just any kind of? No, we're pretty, so we have three playbooks. Uh, we have a B2C playbook that is 
proven to work over and over mm-hmm. again, which I define B2C as, you know, a SaaS product or an easy, low, yeah. low process that doesn't take too long to make a decision, quick purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a B2B playbook that's a little bit harder. Uh, and what I mean by that, it's not harder in terms of like our ability to execute it. It's more har- harder to sell. The sales process might be longer. It might take two months, three months, six months, nine months. The ticket price might be in the thousands of yeah. dollars monthly and so on and so forth. And then we have sort of like a local playbook where it's really regional based. So there might be the LA market or the Dallas market or the Boston market. And we have all these different three playbooks that over the years we've been able to develop out. We're industry agnostic. So we learned that the process works regardless of the industry. Is it's as long as you're systematic and you're following it over and over again, you're able to get the learnings that you need. Mm-hmm. The learnings typically in the initial onset, you fail a lot and you have to be comfortable with that. Meaning like in the beginning, the first one, one month, two months, three months, you're lucky to find an experiment that actually worked. So the constant experimentation process is allowing you to understand what really is going to work, what really is not. And then those, those big failures turn into small failures. The small failures turn into little wins. And those little wins eventually lead into bigger and bigger wins. Then you're able to start growing the business. You said you guys are industry agnostic. But I'm curious, are you guys still looking for primarily like technical solutions across various industries? Or is it if somebody yeah, the, wants the, to open up like a cool new idea for a gelato shop or something? No, no, no. Probably. We're definitely not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Scalable like it, tech businesses. N- nothing wrong with if you want yeah, to open yeah, up a sure. gelato shop. It, it's just our expertise is not that right. necessarily. Right. It's it's finding scalable solutions that Got can it. eventually turn to become venture scale, you know, billion dollar plus valuations and so on and so forth. Got it. Very cool. So we spoke a little bit about what somebody who's still just at the idea stage is doing to gain a little bit of traction to validate their idea. Let's say it's a company that, okay, they validated the idea. They've built their initial version of their product, their MVP. They have maybe a couple of customers. They're at the maybe pre-seed or getting ready for the seed stage type of phase. How do they get from there to series A? What changes in terms of like tactics or yeah, yeah, so where they are at, what you described, they're probably doing ten thousand a month in revenue, That's right? Safe. So, yeah. so at that point, what they need to get to is roughly around eighty thousand a month in revenue. So that that is the journey that they have to go through. So they have to go through from this what I would consider a validated product that there's some some demand, and how do we get to the first real growth engine? that we can turn on and continue pushing further and further. So what ends up happening typically is we start zoning in on one customer persona. At this point, we've identified you know several personas that potentially can make sense for this business. What's a customer persona? We call it a customer persona, but it's like you have to imagine that it's one human being or a person that you're selling to or an entity or an organization. Who they are, we, you know, you, we try to humanize them. So mm-hmm. for example, we might call it Becky the Busy Mom. And Becky, the busy mom, is a working mom. She has two kids and she basically has a husband. They both, she works nine to five. Her husband works the same nine to five. And then the kids are at an age where they have to go to all school and the sports activities and so on and so forth. And let's say if the business happened to be um, one that would go to her house and service her automobile vehicle or replace her oil, right? So why would she find value in this business? Mm-hmm. Because she's busy. So she doesn't have even time to have the car go to the mechanic, right? She, If she loses the car, it's an issue for her because then how is she going to go pick up her kids?
kids and so on and so forth. So you start humanizing this persona to a point where you can understand what the value proposition is, what are the pain points, uh, what type of ad creatives would resonate with her, you know, what are some of the challenges that she has, how, yeah. how would she trust you, and so on and so forth. Got it. I cut you off a little bit, a little bit earlier. Sorry, you were saying they so get to eighty grand. You, yeah, right. yeah. So once you figured out this customer persona and you focused on to one, then what you start doing is you start saying, okay, I have one customer persona. What's the most scalable way I can get a hold of hold of this persona? And how can I, on top of that, start making sure it's repeatable over and over again, right? And then in addition to that, once you do that, you start growing the business. And then when you start growing the business, you start measuring two things. So one is the LTV, which is the lifetime value of that persona. How much is that customer worth to you in a brief period, whatever it might be? It might be six months. It might be a year. Most, most startups at this stage are about a year that you look at it. And then what is the customer acquisition cost? So how much does it actually cost you to bring that customer in? So the LTV over the CAC, so let's say if it, you're making $1,000 revenue on that particular persona and it costs you $100 to bring them in, that your LTV or CAC ratio is 10, which is phenomenal, by the way. If every right. startup had this, they would be right. like golden. And th that becomes now a signal for Series A as well as a signal for Series B that you, you're on to something, that there, there's value created here. And it's pretty easily accessible to for you to bring additional customers in so that provides additional capital for you to be able to scale. Got it. Out of curiosity, what's behind the 80 grand number? Why 80? It sort of gets it to a roughly around a million dollars a year. And that ah, starts okay. showing that, hey, this business is at a certain stage. Got it. That warrants additional capital for it to come in. Got it. And then when you're talking about getting from Series A to Series B, it's this similar thing. Now you're building a secondary growth engine. You're also hiring more additional people. So you're also setting up new processes. And you you might you might be growing the sales team. You might be growing the customer support team. You might start really ramping up the product team so you can start introducing new features. And so, so that involves so diversifying the personas you were talking about? Uh, it also diverse, you start getting to the second persona and more, more channels. So you might be starting to build additional channels. Okay, fantastic. Tell us some of your favorite growth hacks. What's uh, what's something that people might not really expect works and and growing a I hate the word growth tax. So let's, let's first start I found that. it on your website. <laughs> <laughs> so in general, I hate the notion of a hack. Okay. So I believe in more of a systematic. systematic process, a system. And I think the terminology hack really is misused because people think it's short term and you could do something and you get results off of it and it's kind of done, right? So, so if you want to talk about more like growth marketing processes sure. that I genuinely love, like some of my favorite ones are how do you start getting different pieces of the puzzle to start really working together? Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is how do you build a content strategy that builds awareness? That same awareness strategy can be split up into social strategy that brings people in that can also be broken into sort of like an email strategy that's super personalized and talks to one and it might be a landing page and so on and so forth. So like that to me is what really gets me excited is like getting to this notion of how all the different pieces of the puzzles work together and because they're, they're working together, they drive additional results. One of the things that has been spoken about a lot lately is how AI is driving a lot of change in this space. So there are some obvious things like AI generated content, which makes it a lot easier for companies to maybe have better content on their website, which drives SEO traffic and things like that. But there's also been a lot of talk about the changing of sort of how we interact with 
platforms that we use for discovery as it is. Like there's been a lot of talk about maybe search being disrupted with conversational models that we would just speak with and get knowledge from essentially instead of doing a standard search and things like that. How do you see this changing the overall sort of marketing landscape? Because a lot of things have been driven over the last decade or more just purely through search, right? Optimizing for... It's been one of the channels. It's not It's not the only channels. Search definitely, the way we know search today is going to evolve, right? So I don't dismiss that at all, but it's not the only channel that people use to right. build a startup and so on and so forth. But let's first talk about that, right? So what I see potentially happening is like, if you're going to ask basic questions, if you're going to ask like, how to, how do I do this? Or can I get a list of this and so on and so forth? And uh, that type of content that used to rank and would be the top of the funnel kind of content that you were creating will probably get cannibalized with this new sort of conversational AIs that are starting to emerge, right? I'm not going to dismiss that. But what I do also see occurring is at least what we've been embracing because we've been doing generative AI you know, for a while now. Our, our whole content team has been producing this type of content for two plus years. And as you know, GPD's ChatGPT became really, really famous in December, but we were using elements of this prior to that. And what we started really realizing is that original content, and then if you also look at Google Signal, they started also announcing EEAT, which is experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. And what that really means is more thought leadership and how how do you go about, and I think you're going to love this because it's really, it's really about journalism and like the same style of content creation where you spend some time doing research and really understanding what the person thinks or what, what the data suggests is going to start resonating that none of the generative AIs will ever be able to do, right? Because it's new data points, it's a new thought process, it's new something that hasn't been done before. And I think that's where we're going to evolve to. And How do you give weight to that? What do you mean? Like you said, the acronym was EEAT, you said? EEAT, yeah. yeah. Like, so people who are experts in some field, who it's a piece that's really like well-researched and things like that, you're saying would get more more weight in the search Correct. results, right? Correct. So are they evaluating like who the writer is, who the, like, what is it that they're... Uh, I wish I knew. If I yeah. knew, I would be. I would uh, right, have secret, every every client ranking number one. <laughs> right, secret behind the algorithm, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So okay, I mean, you got to think of it more like a thought leadership. That, that's how kind of I, we we use sort of like our thought leadership playbook to see if this will kind of increase the weight. And what is really that? It's really about you know, do you have original data that no one else does, mm-hmm. and it, are you willing to share that data and write an article about that? And then if you write that data, are you willing to go and on podcasts or discuss it? Are you willing to do a webinar and chat about it? Are yeah. you willing to, to do a speaking engagement or a talk and discuss it and so on and so forth? Like I, I've seen this sort of um, playbook play out across different other industries. And I believe that's kind of where it's going to go because it's a lot of work, right? It's, it's not... Versus now, if you think about what generative AI is allowing is I kind of call it where like at the basic level, easy, e- easy level, right? Everyone has access to this amazing new disruptive technology and they're just putting very basic prompts and they're producing, honestly, articles that sound the same, right? Like if you really read it, which is what our team went through in its early versions of it. And then what we quickly realized is like, wow, once everyone sees this and does this, 
you need to do more. And that more was the research. That more was how can I have a different voice that no one else does? How, right. how can I how provide more? Right. Absolutely. I welcome the end of like what you called um, like those how-to articles and stuff. Because you'll be looking for something really basic. I was looking for chicken recipes, like a spicy chicken breast recipe. And first, you so you get the article, and the first section is like the history of chicken breast as a dish. Then it's like how like different cultures <laughs> approach chicken breast dishes and stuff. But like all you're looking for is the how many tablespoons of paprika yeah, or whatever you're supposed and how, to. How long do I put it in for? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you have to go all through this SEO stuff to, to get to it. Let's get to Armenia. It seems like you're you're quite involved in doing a lot of work and advising Armenian startups with go-to-market strategies, with growth, things of that nature. You work quite closely with the SmartGate group and Hero House. You're part of the traction program to the Startup Academy. Tell us about when you got involved within with the Armenian ecosystem. Yeah, of course. So about four years ago, I met Hambartum and he was bringing a group of startups over to LA and and yeah, I, I, I forgot I forgot who connected us or whatever yeah. it might have been. And it was through I think high tech and nurses and so we base they came it's like hey Hamlet, can you give a talk on growth marketing and then i was like yeah i would love that and it was you know it was a point in my career where i wanted to figure out how i can give back and he's like you know we think it would be valuable to the to the startups that are here because they don't know how to necessarily do this i'm like yeah not a problem at all at this point i don't have a deck i don't have a presentation but i'm like you know what let, let me i'm like i tell him that i'm like hey i don't have something to present he's like oh you, you, can, you can just come and talk and i'm like that doesn't sound right let mm -hmm. me put something together so, you know, I rush home, I start thinking about what are the, what are the major frameworks I want to teach people? How can, I, how can I take what I've been teaching the different startups and working with the different startups and simplify it? So I put together a 30-slide presentation. I stay up all night and I just put it together and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I can go present now. And then once I do that, I, I start realizing that, wow, it's starting to make a real big impact here. Like they are the same way that the teams that I had been teaching in the US to do this, this could potentially have a much larger impact because now it can pro provide an opportunity for Armenian startups to really compete globally and compete in the US market as a whole. So that session ends and it still keeps on bothering me. I'm like, man, that felt good. How can I do more? And so I, I reached out again. I'm like, hey guys, just let me know. Let, let me know anything you need. I'm here, you know, let me know how I can help. They, they're like, of course, you, you want to help them? Okay. They're like, why don't you start teaching sort of a class? I'm like, yeah, who am I going to be teaching to? They're going to be going to teach, you know, entry level growth marketers. You're going to, you're going to be able to see, you know, going to be able to see if you can, uh, the startups that we, you just helped, they're going to have employees that you're going to be uh, teaching them and they're going to be the ones who are going to be executing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, like, sounds amazing. So we get into that cycle. So now I'm, I'm teaching, you know, two, it's just a small class. It's my first class. It's two people. So I start teaching the class and, and I go through the process again and I'm seeing the same thing. I'm seeing that the college grads that we had here in the U.S., I'm seeing a parallel with the college grads here in Armenia. Very creative, very driven, very ambitious, at least the two I had. I, mm -hmm. I know that doesn't hold true, maybe for everywhere, right. not in Armenia or the U.S. alone, but the two that I had were that. And I started seeing how quickly they were grasping the concepts and how well they were starting to execute it. So that was another positive signal for me that there might be something here that, that's worth exploring. Mm -hmm. Time goes on. Um, that summer, my friend is having a wedding. I, at this point, have never been in Armenia, by the way. So, oh, wow. okay. so 
And Armenia to me is how my wife is Armenian. She, you know, so she immigrated to the U.S. in the 90s. And I think there was a time warp on what her dad and her mom described Armenia because they, the description of Armenia to me was of that era. Uh So... So my friend keeps on inviting me and he's like, you need to come. You need to come to Armenia. It's not what you think it is. And right. so he has a wedding and he's like, I'm having a wedding in Armenia. You're coming. <laughs> so I make, you know, I come to the wedding and the moment I land, honestly, I fall in love with it. I was yeah. like, wow, yeah. this is completely wrong. I, I look at my <laughs> wife. I'm like, your parents have been lying to me this whole time. <laughs> so, it's like 2019. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So I'm, I'm in Armenia. I'm falling in love. I'm seeing it as five different worlds. I'm like, wow, there's this, you know, tech scene that it's emerging. That seems really cool. There's this music and art scene that's starting to emerge. That seems really, really cool. This amazing restaurant scene. There's the old guard that is hanging out. There is the repatriated group that's here and so on and so forth. So I'm like, I'm seeing this and I'm just absorbing. I'm just input. I'm taking the input. I'm taking the input in. And as I leave that trip, I think I start making a conscious decision around right that time that I, that my initial feelings I got when I was in the U.S. and I was, you know, as Asho at Smarky was slowly like introducing me to the ecosystem, it started really resonating a little bit louder for me. So I went home and then, and for a very long time at this point, uh, with the success of the three startups I had had, VCs were constantly coming to me and they were asking me, can you help additional startups? So the agency hasn't started yet, right? right? So I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, what do I, what do I do? I'm like, all right. So I have VCs that are coming to me. They keep, they keep on saying, Hey, will you work with our portfolio companies? I keep on saying no. So I'm like, okay, I have demand. Mm-hmm. So there's something here, but I'm the reason I say no is I don't have time. I'm like, right. and the natural way of getting time is putting good team together. And I'm starting to see the inefficiencies for me particularly, trying to manage three teams, I'm like, that's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, maybe if I become more advisory with this one and I'm not managing a team and I start taking a lesser and lesser role, I can focus on one team that can work on multiple projects at the same time. And I'm like, okay, it's time to start the agency. And mm-hmm. now let me do it where I want to make the biggest impact, which is obviously Armenia, not just because I want to make an impact, but because I see the potential there, right? And the potential I see is raw talent that has really good sort of right brain and left brain, which is really, really important for growth marketers. So they're either at really, really analytical and they have some inklings of a creative side or they're really, really creative and have some inklings of sort of an analytical side, right? And if you can nurture both of those, you become a phenomenal growth marketer. So I'm like, okay, so the talent pool is here. I've experienced it a little bit. I, had, I did it with two people already that I saw the transformation in them. I'm like, let's make this bet. So then I make this bet. This is roughly around August or so. And I say, I'm going to start. So the first VC comes and I say, yes, I'll take them on. The second VC comes and I say, yes, I'll take him on. The third VC comes and I say, yes, I'll, I'll take it on. And now we have the agency. I have mm. no employees. So I started listing on staff again. I'm like, where am I going to get my employees? I'm like, gosh, you know anyone who wants to work? So I'm putting the listing on staff AM. I'm trying to hire people. Yeah. And surprisingly my first hire is one of the people i taught 
she sees the application she applies right away and i'm like she's hired and like the resumes and she doesn't even know she's hired yet. we haven't interviewed yet so she applies and you know we start putting the team together and we start taking the clients on and about a month later the war occurs Hmm. so i'm like oh my god so now i can't even think i'm like what what have i just done right i've hired people there's a war this is not right i i you know like how am i trying to even build a business here so i go back to every single one of the vcs and my partners and i tell every single one of them guys like you've waited this long for me right i need you to wait a little bit longer because i honestly i'm sorry but you don't need to pay me you don't need to you don't need, you know, I just need you to be patient. There's something bigger here happening than I, I, that I need to be committed at. Yeah. And all of them understand. All of them said, no problem. We're still here. We're going to support you. Let us know what we can do is the immediate thing that comes around from their mouth. And then I look at my team at this point, there's a team of four of us, five of us. I hired four or five people. Right. So, and we're, I look at them, I'm like, guys, you have nothing to worry about. You're going to get your salaries paid. You're going to get your, you know, job, your job is stable. I, I just need you to tell me what we need to do. So every single one of them, I, I look at and say, tell us how we can help and figure out how we can help. That transition period of the war actually started crystallizing for me even more how important the agency was because I saw us losing digitally very poorly, right? Like, so there was so much happening. And one of the first areas that I got the opportunity to work with, which was, was co-op, I started partnering with them and trying to figure out how can I help the families of Artsakh to find home and to raise additional funds. And as I started doing that, I also saw the NGOs had challenged marketing as well too. Right. So all of these different things for me in the course of that two months made me become even more committed to making sure the agency can become successful and take it to where it's gone today. So you guys now work with not just startups, but also nonprofits? Or? We, we do mentoring and advising mentoring. for them. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I think a lot of people had that experience during the war of recommitment to wanting to do something within the country. It's a common story. A lot of, I, I've actually heard a lot in the studio. One of the things you've been involved with is the Startup Academy at Hero House, where you guys do the traction program. And now you're starting your own growth academy. Tell us about those initiatives. Yeah, of course. So as I've slowly immersed myself more and more into the Armenian ecosystem, what I've really realized is there's more startups that need our help and our services. Um, unfortunately, they just don't have not only the capital, the resources in place to be able to execute half of the growth marketing strategies that they would need in order to do to be able to scale it. So the concept is coming from Liz, hey, can I find five startups that we can mentor and we can help mm -hmm. that are at similar stages? So the stage that they're probably at is at the seed stage, right? So they They've hopefully validated already. So they kind of have a product, an MVP-ish product already in place, but they need to start figuring out how can they build their first growth engine. And we're going to have the startup supply just like a VC. We're going to be super selective that we historically have been, and we're going to make sure that we can have them um, fully engaged throughout the process. So that's those are the five startups. Then on top of that, we're going to try to get 25 students so we can build teams of five and each teams of five are not only going to learn the theory, so like how to do growth marketing and really go over the curriculum that we're putting together and trying to make you know them understand how the concepts actually work and what it means to be a data-driven marketer and how to, how to really build all these different scalable strategies. 
We're then going to have that team of five partner with each one of the startups and start putting together an experimentation roadmap for the startups. And they're going to have 10 to 15 ideas that they're going to vet out. They're going to build hypotheses for these ideas. They're going to even go to the point where they have the landing pages created potentially through Figma and also the design done. So ready to go launch campaigns per Mm -hmm. se, right? Fully baked out. And then on the graduation, they're going to present to the founders and the founders are going to hopefully pick one or two ideas that they're going to execute. Then we are also going to help them execute that. So this is the vision of what we're trying to build. And in addition to that, what we're trying to do is with the curriculum is we really want to, we really want to get the ecosystem involved and we would love to be able to share the stories of some of the bigger startups in the ecosystem here and have them also co-coach or co-teach how they've been able to do their different growth initiatives and be able to build the startups that they have here in Armenia. So this way, the students realize that this is totally doable, right? They, they could potentially have a home at the end of this with one of the five startups, or they can also understand that there's other ecosystems available here for them to be able to go get a job, hopefully, and be, be mm-hmm. placed there. That's awesome that you guys are covering both ends of it, because the startups that need the help with, with growth marketing and traction, and then that we have to build up the capacity of people within the country that can actually fill those roles. One question that comes to mind is, uh, what stage startups would these be that you guys are... Seed. So... so seed. I say raised seed, seed or it's okay if they haven't raised, but seed, seed, but most times at seed, they've probably raised properly, at least what I'm noticing in the Armenian ecosystem, they've raised somewhere between 250 to 400 or so at that stage. Like a pre-seed. Like a pre-seed, yeah, in the Armenian ecosystem. And that's just enough for them to be able to run the two or three or four experiments. Yeah. So. Okay. Fantastic. When is it going to start? The first September. cover? September. So we're thinking of launching the program mid-September and having it run all the way through October. And people who are listening who maybe are working on an idea or, or have uh, a startup going already, how can they apply? How can they find out more about it? No, of course, they can find me on LinkedIn. And then we're going to have an application process for both the startups and the students. Mm-hmm. And we'll be able to share that as well. Maybe you can put it on the show notes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And one last question. In terms of building up capacity within Armenia, so you've worked with a lot of companies and more mature ecosystems in the U.S. and on the business side, you've seen a lot of talent for, uh, for go-to-market, marketing, things of that nature. That's something that's often spoken about in Armenia, about how there's a lot of engineering talent, there's a lot of really talented scientists and stuff that can build a deep tech company or something. But on the business side, on the business development side, and people that can actually take a product to market, we still have a long ways to go to building up that talent within the country. What are some of the like, key roles that you see in Armenia that are still kind of missing, that still need to really be developed? And, and do you think they can be done through these kinds of initiatives? Or is there something maybe at the university level or something that we need to do to, to really build up that talent pool? What you said about the engineering, I, I, what I've, at least I've observed, right? Years over year, you could argue that the Armenian engineering prowess has gotten to international levels, if not surpassed in certain disciplines of it. So that definitely is true. Like you see it in AI, we were leading in some areas of it and some categories of it way, way before that, how, where it's come to this stage, right? The product marketing or product is still growing, right? But we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. So the way product-led growth is done or product marketing done is in the States compared to where in Armenia is, there's still a lot of room for improvement, but it's getting better year over year, and you see it. Marketing as a whole is falling behind. And so just the lack of access to understanding the actual market as a whole, the tools that are available, the data that's easily available, 
And all, I think that gap is the gap that we're trying to help fill yeah. the void on, right? Obviously through the academy and so on and so forth. Another way that we are trying to do this is like we believe as long as we give the opportunity. So recently I spoke to AUA at the Barcam event is we wanted to democratize the knowledge, right? So we do monthly growth labs, webinars where we really showcase everything the agency does. Hmm. We have nothing to hide. We show our processes. We show how we do our research. We show how we create our content. And we open source this because we believe that, you know, the, the sharing of knowledge is not what makes us special. It's really we want more and more people to learn this. And so we do monthly webinars to provide also back for the ecosystem as a whole, too. Fantastic. We have a traditional final question. Where do you hope to see both AGA, but also AGA in the context of the work you guys do in Armenia for Armenian companies, I should say, in five to ten years? Oh my God, five to, I, I can't, <laughs> don't you know I work with startups? We can't think that far out ahead. It's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. My brain does not function yeah. like that. I could tell you where I see hopefully AJ in three months, right? So AJ in three months, I see us as a team of 20 or so. Okay. Uh, same core, passionate, driven marketers that I've been fortunate and lucky enough to be a part of and them allowing me to lead them in the way. But I think more they lead me than I lead them some of the times. And that's what I hope in the next three months. Mm -hmm. I hope also in the next three months, uh, the ecosystem has just as they have in this trip, we continue to provide value to the ecosystem. Hopefully that there's interest in both the startups wanting to work in the program that we're talking about the academy, as well as the students that want to join. And we've launched the academy. In six months from now, we're, I'm hoping we can do the second version or the second class that's geared more towards people who want to build a startup, who really want to understand how to do customer discovery, who really want to get into the early infancy stages of it. So that's what I'm hoping in six months from now. And then in a year from now, I'm, I'm hoping that we can have additional curriculum that is now helping later stage startups, right? So now you've got, so that's kind of what I envision. Like if you think about what I keep on talking about, particularly in the Armenian ecosystem is I wanna provide the gap for our organization to really teach and provide back as much knowledge because I see it, it, the potential here, so much of it. And, and I wanna be able to fill that void in the marketplace, hopefully. And if we even make a difference of one life, I think we've already won. And that's my measurement, right? Like, right. can we actually just make one company successful or can we make one person have a job that's actually landed and is understanding growth marketing the way that we've been doing it for the last, you know, 12 or 15 years or so. Absolutely. Let's check in again in a year and do another podcast and, and speak about how it went. Sounds good. Thank, Thank you. you so much for being here, Hamlet. Appreciate Thank so, it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.